Good morning. There we go. Thank you, Beth, for that music. I bet you didn't know that I was a Michael Card fan. I think I have all of his albums. I've been blessed by his music for a number of years. In fact, once I was preaching in Kettering, Ohio, at the church there, and my sermon title was borrowed from the title of one of his songs, and it happened that he was in town that same weekend, and so the church tried to uh, purchase a plane ticket so he could come and sing and surprise me at the end, and even though it didn't work out, I did appreciate the sentiment and the effort that was put forward. We are coming to the conclusion of a series that we began in February. As we begin, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads together with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have a home, a home in heaven, and that we're leaving our home here to go back to our garden home, a home prepared for us. Bless us as we can come to the conclusion of this series. May it draw us closer to you, for we ask this in Jesus' name. I think that we have an introduction to share with you now. Apparently not. I was down in the studio earlier and they told me they had it queued up. They were... Remo. Hi, I'm Dan Solis for the Home to the Garden series, where God takes the worst life in the worst neighborhood, gives a better life, and a dream home. Put the microphone a little closer to me. It's, it's, I'm not sure how much closer it can get. Okay, uh, today we come to the end of this series, and our theme is that power connection that we have with God, something that the Bible refers to as prayer. Now, in review, we began this series in February by studying God's Word, that our first connection with God is through His Word. We connect with Him through Christian action. This is also a part of our preparation to go home to heaven. Our third installment was the power source, for nothing works unless we are connected to a power source, which is the Holy Spirit. Then, in our fourth installment, we studied the subject of Christian witness. And now, finally today, we come to the power connection, or prayer. We're going to explore the subject of prayer through three stories that we find in the Bible. And I invite you to turn with me to the book of Esther as we begin. Our first story is the story of Esther. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 12. 
Esther is one of those small books in the Bible sandwiched in between Nehemiah and the book of Job. Esther 3, verse 12. The king's secretaries were summoned on the 13th day of the month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples in every province, in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces giving orders to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. You remember the story. It's been five years since Esther became queen, which was in 479 B.C. It's now 474. And there is a man named Haman who hates the Jewish people. This is the height of racism. We talk a lot about racism today, but here we have a man that wants to exterminate an entire race throughout the kingdom. He has set all of this up, playing upon King Xerxes' pride. And now there is a crisis for all the Jewish people, including Esther and Mordecai. This is an interesting pair in sacred history. They are living in a foreign land. And they have compromised. They have tried to settle in, just become a part of the crowd. In fact, Mordecai has advised Esther to hide her ethnicity. Her name really at birth was not Esther. It is Hadassah, a Jewish name. But now they're living in the Persian capital. So it's time to compromise. It's time to settle in to our circumstances and our surroundings. And so Mordecai, who has assumed the name of a pagan god named Marduk in his own name, Mordecai, instructs Hadassah, you're now Esther, named after Ishtar, meaning star, one of the pagan goddesses of ancient mythology. And so we're going to fit in. And now comes a time of testing. We continue by reading chapter 4, verse 12. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. This seems to be a reversal on Mordecai's part. First he tells Adasa, you're going to be Ishtar, you're going to be Esther, you're going to fit in, you're not going to be known as a Jew. And now he's saying, oh, wait a minute, we're all going to be killed, and don't think you're going to escape just because you've been hiding your identity. For if you keep silence, verse 14, at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. And then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go. 
Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So here, this unlikely duo, let's settle in. Let's just become a part of this community. Faces a crisis. And even though they had not been ardent followers of God, They know in a time of crisis, it's time to pray. Now, you may object because the word prayer is not included in the book of Esther. But I'm going to make a case for the fact that as they were fasting, this was connected with prayer, as is often the case throughout Scripture. We start with one of Esther's contemporaries, Ezra, who 17 years later, would lead a group of Jewish people back to rebuild the temple and to reestablish the city of Jerusalem. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 9, verse 5. And here it's written, At the evening sacrifice, I, meaning Ezra, got up from fasting with my garments and my mantle torn, and fell on my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord my God. So he's fasting and he falls on his knees, the posture of prayer. Fasting goes together with prayer. Just a few pages over, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, in the experience of Nehemiah himself. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down and mourned for days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then we turn now to Daniel 9.3, who has preceded Esther by little more than a generation. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. And here again we see the connection between fasting and praying. Then I turn to the Lord God, to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So you see, there was a close connection between fasting and praying. And I believe that when Esther says we're going to fast, it was for the clear purpose of connecting with God, surrendering her life to God in prayer. Look with me now to the New Testament, which continues this tradition of fasting and praying. We turn now to the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 23. And after they had appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe. When we fast, when we pray, it is an act of entrusting ourselves to God. When we talk with Him, it's opening up our heart as to a friend. 
and putting trust in a friend, for there is no friendship, there is no relationship apart from trust. And so, prayer is an act of trusting God, of making God our friend, as he has made us his friends. And here we have Esther and Mordecai on the edge of extermination, along with all the other Jewish people. They've come to God in prayer and bared their souls. There may be someone here or someone watching by way of television, and you're saying, God would never hear me. I've walked away from God. I've compromised myself. I've just chased after money, chased after the things of this world. God won't hear my prayer. But that was Esther and Mordecai. They had settled into the culture. But when they needed God, they knew where to turn. And they prayed. God will hear you too. I don't care where you've wandered, what you've done, what you've said, what you've not done. God will hear your prayer when you bring it sincerely to his throne of grace. Prayer is how we connect with God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, without trusting in him, it is impossible to please him. But prayer is an act of faith. Prayer is an act of trust. And it pleases God when we pray. Our second story comes from the New Testament. From the story of Peter. And I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 12, where we will begin reading with verse 2. We're now in the land of Herod Agrippa. Not to be confused with Herod Antipas, which is the story of Jesus. It was Herod Antipas who sought to take the child's life. This is a son of one of Herod Antipas's brothers-in-law. He is the king. He's very vain. And he wants to please the Jewish people. He's a politician. Politicians haven't changed, have they? I'm going to please the people by killing those who are unpopular. And first he selected James. So we pick up the narrative in verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, killed with a sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. Notice it was the church praying. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrist. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. 
And then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and they walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, or from what all the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. And when he knocked on the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted it was so. They said, it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. He was probably in prison at the prison located at the Temple Mount, which is not far from the upper city of Jerusalem. The very fact that this house had an outer courtyard and a gate suggests that it is in the upper city that this prayer meeting was taking place, the wealthier part of the city, not far from where the prison was located. So the angel comes, releases Peter, directs Peter to come to this house where they're praying for him and the people don't believe it. And can you blame them? Because as we opened this chapter, we read that James was beheaded. Do you think that the people had not also gathered at this house to pray for James? And James lost his life. So now, so now you're telling me that Peter is at the gate? Rhoda, you're just a little kid. You don't know what you're seeing. You're hallucinating. He's not there. There is a God. He does not always prayers the way that we wish. But God answers prayer. And when he answers in affirming our request, we should never question it, nor should we be surprised. Here they rejoiced. And Peter says, tell James. This is the same James who wrote our theme verses in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 of his book. Turn with me there. James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 and 17. 
The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and yielded its harvest. Also want to reference Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. And here Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Prayer is not just a solo event. It is something that we do together. The Bible says that the church prays. Not just one person here or there. They gathered together in prayer. There is power when two or more gathered together in the name of Jesus. And there is prayer. There is power when there is faith among God's believers. It didn't rain when they prayed. It did rain when they prayed again. God still answers Our third story comes from the book of Daniel. And I invite you to turn with me there to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel was among those captured in Nebuchadnezzar's attack on Jerusalem in 605 B.C. There were three other attacks in 597 and finally the fall of Jerusalem in 586. But Daniel was among the first captives. And as you remember, he was taken away with three of his young friends. These are most likely people that would be late high school or early college by our standards today. Daniel chapter 2, and we begin reading with verse 12. Because of this, The king flew into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. What was the king so worried about? He had had this vision, a vision of a statue. He wondered, what does it mean? So he brings all the soothsayers and all the wise men of Babylon, those who claim to be able to interpret dreams. But he doesn't remember the dream. So he says, tell me the dream and the interpretation. Now these men have made a living for years spinning tales about the king's dreams, but they've never had to produce the dream before. And they don't know what the dream is. I'm sure some of them tried, and the king recognized that isn't the dream, and he's frustrated and he's angry, and he's saying, you're going to die. Not only the ones that came before him, but all those in this classification and that included Daniel and his three friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah so we continue the narrative here with verse 13 the decree was issued and the wise men were about to be executed and they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them and then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch the king's chief executioner who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. 
he asked Arioch, the official, the royal official, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And so Daniel went in and requested that the king would give him time and he would tell the king the interpretation. What faith? What faith? Here's the teenager that is saying, God is going to reveal this. Wow. You know, we say today that teens aren't interested in religion. And sometimes that's true. But we have teenagers who are close to the Lord and who pray and who hear and who are receiving answers to what God is giving them. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whom you may remember better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names from the fiery furnace story. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. Are you looking for wisdom? Do you have decisions that need to be made? Are you looking for power? Are you fighting the spiritual battle? Are you in a struggle and you want to know how to get through it? We serve a God who from age to age gives wisdom and power. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and sets up kings. By the way, for those of you who have not voted, have you considered praying before you vote? For it is God who deposes kings and sets up kings or premiers or presidents. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Do you feel that you're in a fog sometimes? That God isn't present? That you may, you may see him, but it's through a very dim glass. That the future is hidden from you and you don't know where to turn. Daniel says that we serve a God who reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Are you living in the dark? Not knowing where to go? Not, where, not knowing where the next step is? We serve a God who lives in the darkness with a light. He lives in our darkness. And he says in verse 23, To you, O God, of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we asked of you. And you have revealed to us what the king ordered. James 1 verse 5 says that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He is the God who gives out liberally. 
Are you looking for wisdom? Are you looking for knowledge about the future? You have decisions to make. You don't know where to turn. Have you prayed lately? Have you asked God? Turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Once again, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone, can you say that with me? Everyone. I know you're masked, but I know you can do better than that. So, everyone, yes, who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You're everyone. I'm everyone. And when I come to God in prayer and I tell Him my needs, I tell Him my concerns, and I can tell Him my joys as well, He hears and He answers. What a God we serve. Now, having said that, you may be surprised that I'm going to tell you that there is no power in prayer, but there's power in God. And let me explain what I'm saying. Today, a lot of studies are being done about people in hospitals by people who don't believe in God. When they say there's power in prayer, in the act of doing something as though it is auto-suggestion that somehow fixes our body chemistry and makes us recover. It's not true. There's power in God. And prayer is how we connect with God. Let me use a lamp as an illustration. You see here pictured a lamp and a cord. There is no light in that lamp unless that cord is plugged in to a, to a plug, to an electrical circuit. The cord itself that connects the lamp to the plug has no power in it until it is plugged in. When it is plugged in, it brings power from the source which we've already studied about as the Holy Spirit, it brings power from God, brings power from God's Spirit into the lamp so it is lit. There is a connection with God. We call it prayer. The lamp cannot light unless it is plugged in. The furnace cannot heat unless it is plugged in. The stove cannot prepare meals unless it is plugged in. 
If you want to be the light of the world, as God has called us to be, if you want to be on fire with the heat of God, if you want to feed the world with the bread of life, who is Jesus, you have to be plugged in. There is no Christian life unless we are plugged in. I'd like to share a story with you of what prayers meant in my life, but you've already heard them all. You've heard how my mother at 57 was on her deathbed and God answered our prayers and restored her. You've already heard about how we were desperate to sell a house when we were moving to Kettering, that two realtors had failed to sell, and we put an ad in the paper and we prayed, and the next day we had a man there with cash to buy the house. But you've already heard those stories. But here's one you haven't heard, because it happened three days ago. So, I got a phone call, and I realized that I was going to have to do some additional preparation for the worship service this morning. And I knew that I was going to need help. And so, I called the office and said, do you have a phone number for this family? No, we don't. So I called a relative to get a phone number for the family, and they didn't answer. So finally, I decided the only way I'm going to get in touch with them is to actually drive over there, which I did. I hadn't been to this house in eight years, at least. So I drove over there, and I was walking up to the door to make my request. And the homeowner walked out on the phone. But it was one of those Bluetooth phones. Do you remember the old Southwest commercial? There are two people sitting side by side. One man is complimenting his girlfriend on a Bluetooth, which the lady beside him can't see, and she thinks he's talking about her, and she says, oh, that's, that's so nice, and then she realizes he's not talking to her at all. It was one of those moments. So I walked up and I started talking to the homeowner, and they were talking, but it wasn't to me, it was to one of these. And as I listened, I realized I was on holy ground. I realized I was not there for the purpose that I had gone. I realized that God was sending me there for a special purpose. And after the homeowner got off the phone, I was told that there was a desperate situation. And the homeowner had been praying. And I realized that God sent me there to be part of their answer. God is still answering prayer. He may be using you to answer a prayer. 
He will use your brothers and sisters in the family of God and people you don't even know to answer your prayers. Think of Abraham atop Mount Moriah or when he's pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, a man of prayer. Think of Jacob as he wrestled with God through the night until the morning light broke through. Think about Moses standing over top a battlefield, raising his hands to God with the help of his friends so that God would give them victory. Think of Elijah up on Mount Carmel, apparently alone, face to face with 400 of Satan's priests And he prays to the God of heaven. And God answers. And of course there's Jesus. Who spent the night in the garden praying. Up early in the morning. To open up his heart to God. And if the savior of the universe. Needed to pray. One who was perfect and sinless. Why do you and I think we can get away with not praying and still live the Christian life? You cannot go to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, and find one person there who was not a person of prayer. Samuel Chadwick writes, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. Folks, it is Halloween today. How would you like to shake up the devil? How would you like to make him tremble? And you can do it all without a mask. If you pray. If I want you to listen carefully as Cindy and Lisa are going to ask you a question. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord?
you to join me, to agree with me that we at Village Church and wherever you are will become people of prayer, people that come to God daily and not just in the morning or just in the evening, but throughout the day, we'll open up our hearts to the Lord. It's not, it's not about falling on your knees all day long. You can be driving in your car. You can be at work. But you're opening up your life to God. You're talking with Him through the day. You're laying out the hidden parts of your life. You're asking God to come in and take control. You know, if we all kept the Ten Commandments, loved God and others more than ourselves, and prayed to God without ceasing, this world would be transformed within a year. We can start that fire right here. And good fires burn quickly. Maybe this will be the start of destroying the kingdom of Satan by prayer, by knowing God in our own hearts, 
I'm not asking you to do this because I'm some super champion of prayer and that I pray all the time. I'm talking to myself as much as I am to any of you. But I need this transformation in my life. And I'm inviting you to make a quiet commitment right where you are that you will do the same. And let's see what God will do. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we can come to you anytime, day or night, with our burdens and our joys. That you have called us your friends. And real friends talk often and talk deeply. We're praying that it won't be long. That the next time we hear this question, we'll be able to say, Oh, I talked to him just a few minutes ago. I'm talking with him now. Lord, come into our hearts. Transform us. Make us your friends in prayer. In Jesus' name.